0: you <laughs>
1: back to Oysters, Clams, and Cockles, the number one Game of Thrones podcast in the realm for people who party like Tyrion and slay like Daenerys. Brought to you by Grand X Media. I am Ross Bolin, here in the Grand X Media studios in Austin, Texas, with my co-host, Barrett Dudley. Good morning! Hey!
2: Live from Westeros' favorite radio station. Is this your radio voice? Is that your pretend that be, radio That voice? was like off the... Th- that was like an off-the-dome radio voice, so I don't, that, think I, I don't think I nailed it. That would not be ideal. I'm glad that we're not a radio show.
1: Yeah. This is totally different. It's a podcast. Podcast. Wildly different. Totally different. I've been told that I have a face for podcasting. I've also been told that many, <laughs> many times. This is The Night's Rewatch. We are doing a podcast for every episode of Game of Thrones, starting with season one, episode one, leading up to the final season of our favorite shows so we can all be as prepared as possible we highly recommend that you take the black and join us. Uh, as a member of the clam Fam and as a brother or sister in the Night's Rewatch, you are capable of invoking Sumai on Man Outfitters and getting 15% off your entire order if you spend $150 or more with free shipping included always. So Man Outfitters is a big part of what we do here at Grand X. Grand X is our parent company uh, that allows us to do our podcast. And uh, we started, own, and operate manoutfitters.com a one-stop shop for men to grab everything they need in the clothing realm, and in the uh, there's some health supplements on there as well, just as an aside. But by invoking Sumai at checkout, of course we mean typing in Sumai, S-U-M-A-I, at checkout into the little uh, promo code box, and you'll get 15% off the entire order, which is fantastic. You can get on there and stock up on Fresh Threads for spring and summer, but also... Something special we've got going right now. If you hit manoutfitters.com slash grillmaster, I believe. Yes, manoutfitters.com slash grillmaster, you can enter our grillmaster giveaway, which has over $2,000 in prizes uh, plus five chances to win. The grand prize winner is going to get a $750 Man Outfitters gift card, a king of the party pack, plus a bunch of brisket and pork butt. And uh, there's four runner ups. That win a $250 Man Outfitters gift card plus king of the party pack. All the details are on manoutfitters.com slash grill giveaway. So get on there. Shouts to all my queens of the party packs as well. Grill master slash grill master. Not grill giveaway. Manoutfitters.com slash grillmaster. master. Manoutfitters.com slash grillmaster. Okay? Do it. Also do some shopping while you're there. Sue at checkout. There you go. Uh Westworld fans. If you like OCC and the way we do things here for Game of Thrones, and you obviously do, subscribe to Freeze All Motor Functions on iTunes now. It is our brand new Westworld podcast hosted by myself and one Jared Borslow, who's been a guest on OCC many times, a uh, notable little finger enthusiast. We're, what, like four episodes into this new season of Westworld, and it is mind blowing and extremely confusing, and Freeze All Motor Functions is here to help you digest it all. What an ep last
2: night. It by really the way. was. An quite, incredible, quite an episode, probably the best one. Well, yes, the I, best one of the season. I think one of the best, best of one the ever. I yeah. think the best one ever. Yeah, and I'll say I'm trying not to get too upset by the fact that HBO is giving Westworld 75 minute runtimes in season two. I'm trying to take it. I'm trying to take a deep breath and take it as a good sign. Yeah, I, I'm the, trying to, to tell myself that that means they're going to give 90 minutes to every single Game of Thrones. The
1: latest episode. rumor that I heard is that we will get two hours for every episode are you really yes now that does not mean that that is confirmed <laughs> and I, I would be did you sh- make up that rumor no 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 i swear to god okay i i this is, there's been some circulation on this and that would be uh ideal i think is one word would just yes yeah. but at the very least i think you're correct this it i i just can't i don't know how that works like the if there's some kind of political bartering that goes yeah, into getting more I mean, it certainly makes me time. wonder
2: why Game of Thrones wasn't able to do more longer episodes more often. In, you know what? Like, I wh- think why it comes is Westworld down to, getting the pass now?
1: I think it comes down to money and every minute costing money. You know what I mean? From yeah, like the filming yeah. budget right. and maybe Westworld has just found they haven't had to spend as much money on certain things that Game of Thrones did or maybe whatever. So. Maybe so so much more CGI in Game of Thrones. I don't know, but it seems Westworld would use a lot of CGI
2: too. Yeah. So I really don't know what all goes into it. But maybe I think- Westworld is just able to ride the coattails of get of the. Just mountain of cash that Game of Thrones has made. <laughs> that HBO. might be that
1: might be part of it, yeah. but it, at the very least, I think you're correct. we very good sign for us Game of Thrones fans going into season eight. Um, I swear, but I
2: swear to God, I'm gonna just throw an absolute shit fit if I pull up a Game of Thrones episode and it says 54 minutes. If we get a single one of those <laughs> this this season. I'm I'm with you. I think we, we I
1: think we that if that's the point where we militarize the entire Clam Fam. Yeah, we go down to HBO
2: Studios. We, we protest. We, we'll we ride. We'll, we'll have a violent I, protest. Th-
1: this isn't just a protest. <laughs> a violent protest. Yes, there will be violence. This is not a peaceful community. We are an angry people. If we get a 54 minute fucking <laughs> runtime, that would be uh, that just ludicrous. Our hotline number is 43 Clams. You can call with questions, takes, Clam Fam corrections, whatever you want. It's a voicemail. If you screw up your call somehow, a lot of people do, surprisingly, uh, just hang up and call back. No big deal. We'll erase the one that uh, you messed up and we'll go with the one that worked. We've got four calls we're going to play for you this week. Here they are. First one.
3: Hey, guys, this is Nathan from Birmingham, Alabama. Just calling about your size inconsistencies with the Dire Wolves. Just want to remind y'all remember, Theon made a point when they first found the Dire Wolves to point out the fact that Ghost was the runt of the litter just thinking that that would probably play into a little bit the fact that he is significantly smaller than where we see summer what you're bringing up in this episode uh just give a thought thanks guys bye
1: that's a good point good insight on the direwolf situation and the uh, differing in sizes for the animals apparently our intern luke who goes through all of the uh the hotline calls now said there were a lot of calls about this issue so thank you to everybody who called in to clear that up next call
3: what up family it's john from boston uh just wanted to call listen to the podcast loved it and uh i did notice on uh instagram today there was a cast photo for season eight and um of them all like out at a, some event together and the same guy who uh played the the night king before he was turned um was in the photo so i'm guessing we're gonna get a lot of flashback uh in season eight to what actually happened and why that uh the Night King kind of came around, so I thought that was really interesting. It's on, uh, I think, Game of Ice and Fire on Instagram. So check it out. Love the pod. Keep it up.
1: Ooh, that's good. I mean, that's not the biggest mind blowing confirmation. If it was like a spoiler in any way, we wouldn't.
2: Obviously. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. We, we I mean, get... I would. I would expect it to have him in a cast photo. Is it's just good news? That's just good news to me. Yes, and you now because I... we need, we need because that's we we need that. We just, do you we know did, that... we do. If the same guy who
1: plays Night King pre-turning is the guy who plays Night King all dolled up with makeup and shit.
2: I don't know. I don't know with certainty. I think they're I think they're different though. I think they are too. Uh so which the, all that tells
1: us is that we are getting flashback. Right. Right. Yes. Which is yeah, exactly. what Barrett has wanted so badly. Yeah. More yeah. backstory. Yes. So uh yeah. All right. We got two more calls.
0: What's up guys? This is Nick from San Diego. I've uh, been listening to the rewatch and I've heard you guys use the phrase "buddy cop" or "buddy film" a couple times now, and it's kinda just now you know clicked on for me that Game of Thrones has had a lot of situations where they've you know really had some of their best scenes and you know best character development with just having you know two characters together for you know sometimes it's a few episodes, sometimes even seasons long. You know, we've had Tyrion and Bronn, Jamie and Brienne, and of course Arya and the Hound. And so I was just wondering, two questions for you guys is, one, who is what has been your favorite buddy cop or buddy film for Game of Thrones? And two, if you guys could pick your absolute favorite potential buddy cop, not what you think will happen in season eight, but what, if you could make your own Game of, Game of Thrones fanfic, who would you put together? Uh, anyways, love the podcast and love the rewatch.
1: Yeah, this is funny because it actually like last episode when we were recording is when it really struck me how often the show relies on a uh, duo mm-hmm. and they, how they mix and match their characters yeah. to, to create these buddy cop as we refer, and, refer to them as uh, scenarios. And to answer your questions, I, it's tough for me to not put Arya
2: and the Hound at number one. I think that's that's the one that immediately jumps to the front of my mind right as like as the as the best one
1: they have such good chemistry and there's just so much funny. even in this one their banter is always hilarious uh they both have good biting back and
2: forths. yes and that well and like the juxtaposition of the two the little girl a little girl and a in a you know giant scary monster a scary man yeah right you know is is, is creates uh, and just
1: the way she gets i mean she becomes more and more funny moments Yeah, yeah yeah
2: but other good ones that also come to mind are, are ones you kind of mentioned, like uh, Tyrion and Bronn are great together. That's a great pairing. Um, An underrated one for me is Tyrion and Varys. Yeah, yeah, big time. Bran and Podrick are are funny together. We get some, we get some of them in this episode. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, and and it also just kind of is a reminder that for these first four even five seasons one of the things that game of thrones was so renowned for is just like the you know quote people talking in rooms or people walking and talking right you know it's it's always like the conversations that people were having were the show and in the latter seasons just seven it's become in season seven we lost all that yeah, but I think we started part. to lose. We'll see. I think we started to lose a little bit in six too. But there's maybe when there's battle scenes, just like and a shit. little bit more reliance on like the larger plot points as right. a whole instead of just the, the inner workings yeah. of, of 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 plotting and what people are doing. Um, but what's your what's your which pairing would you like to see that we haven't seen? I'm interested to see if we get
1: uh, Jamie John Snow. In some way, shape, or form, that's because we okay. We've seen like one conversation between the two of them Mm -hmm. ever, and it was back in Winterfell. True, true. And uh, it was it was good. It was good shit. I just I think there's a lot to play with there that could get interesting. Plus, these are two guys, one of whom has a lot of experience uh, being in love with his sister. The other is now (laughs) presumably in love with his aunt. Uh uh They have a lot in common. Uh, it it it'll be interesting to see if we get some, you know, one of these scenarios with them.
2: Yeah. Okay. Um. Let's see. I'm trying to think of of maybe of of something that could have happened that that we didn't see. Nothing is spring to mind. Honestly, there's
1: been so many pairings. It's like there's not as many options for new ones. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah, a yeah. lot of these people have already been become familiar with yeah, each other.
2: Yeah. It's a li- so it's a little bit easier to think about the last season so I'll, I'll just toss out like something that could be interesting is uh maybe like a daenerys and and sansa absolutely yeah that's that's good call just you know and it might only be one or two conversations i don't think we'll get the full-on buddy cop duo from them probably not mm-hmm. in the
1: same way i don't think that like you said we I don't know if there's time anymore yeah, for these yeah, type of they've, buddy they've, cop and, duos. And, and
2: they've mixed and matched quite a bit. So it's yeah. so we've gotten a lot of good but, stuff.
1: But I still think we could get... I mean, we know they're going to have to work together. So we're going to get some back yeah. and forth at least. Right. All right. Last call.
3: What up? It's your boy Ty from Cleveland. Uh, I don't really have a clam fam correction per se. It's more of a detail that I thought should be pointed out. Um, so in the first episode of this season, uh, Ross and Bear, you guys were talking about where these two swords have ended up in the current point in the story. And in particular with Oathkeeper, uh, the question that sort of came out of the discussion was, does Brienne actually know that while she's in service to the Starks, she's actually wielding a Stark blade? And we get the answer to that uh, in this most recent episode, episode four, uh, because when Jamie gifts her Oathkeeper, he explicitly notes that, uh, that it was forged from Ned Stark's blade ice. So the answer to the question is yes, uh Brianne does know or she at least should remember uh that she's holding a Stark blade, and so that sort of leaves the door open for her to return it to one of the Stark children in season eight, presumably John, considering she's passed up returning it to anybody else. Um so that's all I got. Uh uh love the pod. Uh keep it up.
2: You have to assume, first of all, that Ty is short for Tyler. I was just that was the first thing that I was gonna say as well, is we're filing away Ty with the Tyler congregation absolutely yeah fits. ty you you go you get with the tyler's shouts to all the tyler's as always and then yeah you got to assume also that brienne remembers that jamie told her that yeah, uh, yeah as it's a pretty so.
1: fucking important detail and yes you're absolutely correct we did get confirmation that she does has in fact been informed of that and i i still don't know how that plays out because she can't give it to aria aria doesn't mess with broadswords or mm-hmm. giant swords like that true uh, John, John has, has Longclaw Longclaw and it's yeah. like it would just be weird if at this point he was like alright gonna go ahead and retire Longclaw and use uh, Oathkeeper well I you just... know he
2: talks about how the wildlings fight with two swords so maybe he can just fight with both of those that's <laughs> right
1: uh, yeah we see Crazy Carl fight with two knives in this and then right. maybe that's John right. in that fight thought fuck I could use another sword <laughs> and when Brienne gives him that one then he's rocking Oathkeeper and Longclaw who knows who knows, who knows? but yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, shout out to Tyler Nation. All right, let's get into Season 4, Episode 5. First of His Name, written by Benioff and Weiss and directed by Michelle McLaren. Uh, we open in King's Landing with Tommen's coronation. Uh, new Tommen's coronation as Tommen of the House Baratheon, first of his name, King of the Andals and the First Men and Lord of the Seven Kingdoms. The ceremony's packed. People seem to be very happy to see a king that isn't Joffrey. On the throne, which makes perfect sense. After however much time that was that Joffrey was ruling, you would think pretty much anybody would be a welcome sight at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if King's Landing operates like a North Korea situation where they force people to come in and celebrate or if this is by their own f- f- fruition, 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 whatever. If it's by their own choice mm-hmm. that they're attending it, but they are there. Uh, during the ceremony, Marjorie is there. She's, I don't know, 20, 20, Feet, 30 feet away from uh, Tommen up on the balcony, making eyes at him. Yeah, oh yeah. She's working him even as the ceremony's going on from a distance and then Cersei fittingly interjects, literally walks right in between the uh, line of sight there and then comes over to talk to Marjorie. And they start off with some small talk that Tommen looks like he was born for the throne, blah 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 which he kind of does. He He's ca- more kingly than than Joffrey ever was. Oh, he's quite regal. Even as a young boy, he it it fits him. Mm -hmm. It looks like he's in the spot he's supposed to be. You know. Yes. Um, Then Cersei asks Marjorie if she still mourns for Joffrey, and at first Marjorie's like, she's kind of playing her playing the game. Still, oh, he was my husband. He was, you know, my king. And Cersei says he would have been your nightmare. So there's a there's a weird level of leveling here between Cersei and Marjorie. Cersei leveling with Marjorie. It's a level of leveling for sure. Yeah, it's a level of leveling, and (laughs) it's not the only time in this episode that we see Cersei kind of being real, which is not something we're accustomed to
2: seeing with her. So Uh, yeah, she's I I was kind of not sure what to make of this. Like, why is she suddenly being kind of cool to? Kind of nice to Marjorie, and that's the same. Are you still interested in being queen? It's the same reaction Marjorie has. She's like, "Is this a trap?" And then I think we kind of get the answer later on with Tywin, and it's like she's really trying to take up that like diplomatic, do anything for the family, like make the right, make the decision that's best for the family type of move. Right, Uh, because Cersei goes on to level even more, saying they both
1: knew exactly what he was. Uh, she gets deep. You never love anything in the world like you do your first child. And then she gives this... It's, this was a big reveal for me. She says, And what he did, it shocked me. Do you think I'm easily shocked? The things he did shocked me. Uh, and even more than any of the preceding, I think this is one of the realest moments we ever get from Cersei on the show, period. She's kind of oh, like drawing the curtain to show us or I guess pulling the curtain. When you draw the curtain, are you closing the curtain? Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. so she's like Porn. pulling back the curtain, and it, it gives you some insight into her mindset when Joffrey was king. She was shocked by all the atrocities he was committing, uh, which is never something you really consider, is what she thought about her son and how he was acting and ruling. Uh, she then... Tells Marjorie point blank, look, Tommen is gonna need help if he's going to rule well. And like you mentioned, aster, you're still interested in being queen, I take it. And Marjorie continues to be coy. After all that's happened, it sounds strange, but I really haven't given any thought to it. It would be a great honor, of course, but I'll have to speak to my father about it. Like it's just this bullshit back and forth. You're right, right. Um well, I mean, at least on Marjorie's half, Cersei's the only is actually being realer than her here. And then uh, marjorie makes this this joke that we may be faced with an alarming number of weddings soon and she just it's like she couldn't quite get through the whole conversation resist without dropping an insult and she (laughs) says i won't even know what to call you sister or mother and cersei's (laughs) face is is she it's the perfect goddamn it expression
2: yeah yeah it was it's a bad choice by marjorie i i really thought that that was stupid yeah. yeah she thinks she's she thinks she's playing the game here well and she and like you said she just i mean she can't help it she's like i got this we're gonna we're gonna do our little back and forth here but then i'm gonna then i'm gonna drop a hammer on you too just unnecessary though yeah the woman is
1: finally leveling right. with you a little bit and you just had to fuck it up at the end you know what i mean
2: yeah and um, hey hey that comes back to honor <laughs> it doesn't work out for her yeah uh a couple of other things i noted on this first scene right off the bat we get presumably some type of high Septon. Yeah. This is talking, the guy. About all, talking about all the old gods, crone, mother, father, like yada, yada. Yeah. And that's on when you're watching year by year, week by week, you know, the seasons as they come out, I, part of the reason that like the whole storyline with the high Septon militarizing and all that was kind of weird to me is because I was like, I didn't really feel like we got much ever before that about the new gods and about the whole religion in general. But on this rewatch, they they, they get mentioned and then their names dropped a lot more often than you realized. It's it's in there, They're planting a lot. It's just the not, It's
1: not emphasized yeah.
2: as much. Yeah. yeah, And so just as we've been on Arya Kill Watch, Sam Teeth Watch, Shea Watch, I'm now on High Septon Watch. Because one thing that I could never figure out is like, because we see a guy like this, he's coordinating king. Seen, we've seen this guy multiple times now. But he's yeah. not the guy. He's, no. not, the something big, he's happens, not the big bad.
1: Something happens uh, between now and that, and, and the uh, High Sparrow.
2: High Sparrow, thank you. That That's, will yeah.
1: replace the High Septon. Uh, yeah, so I'm just, just going to
2: leave it at that. I'm on High Sparrow watch.
1: Okay, we got the. We'll put the I'm piece try, of paper I'm, up.
2: I'm, I'm trying to figure out, you know, exactly like how that. We'll put shift up a piece of paper next about. to
1: the Arya kill count that says, yeah. who is the High Sparrow <laughs> in the most recent episode? And then we'll answer the question. <laughs> uh, over in Khaleesi's camp, Danny is informed by her. I guess it's like a small council of sorts. It's Sir Barris and Selmy, sure, sure. Jorah Mormont, and Dario Naharis. Uh, all men, which is something to note. Masande is, is like her helper. But not welcomed on the small council yet. Is anyway. she not
2: sitting there right next to Grey Worm, though?
1: I don't even think Grey Worm is in this scene, was he? I thought it was just Jorah, Dario, and uh, Barrister and Selmy.
2: I, I think she says without, I think they say like without the Unsullied's presence and they pan over to Grey Worm. Oh, maybe you're right. There was maybe, I think Masande standing there. Oh, uh, okay. To him, maybe. Okay. Not, I can't remember. Well, the three guys giving their input are Yeah, the, three the dudes giving their input yeah. are Dario, Barristan, and uh Jorah. Yeah.
1: Barristan informs Danny that King Joffrey Baratheon was murdered at his own wedding and uh that they have taken the Miranese navy for Danny. And then that's when Dario's like, Um, excuse me. No, the second sons have grabbed that navy and Danny's like, Why the hell did you do that? I didn't tell you to do that, and he's like, Well, I heard you like ships. Apparently, the number of ships they got is ninety-three, and uh, according to Barriston, those ships can carry ninety-three hundred men, which carry the one that is 100 a, one hundred guys a ship.
2: One, yes,
1: right. Ninety-three times one hundred. I am a calculator. Uh, they also, he goes on to note, have eight thousand unsullied in two thousand second suns. So, if you're keeping track of Danny's, you know, military force here, ninety-three ships. 8,000 Unsullied, 2,000 Second Sons. Those ships can almost carry her entire force. Um, Barristan is of the opinion that their numbers are now enough to invade King's Landing. He's like, let's fucking roll, let's do this. But Jorah is concerned. Look, he's like, we're we, the goal is not to conquer King's Landing, is to conquer Westeros, and we don't have enough people to pull that off. Um, Barristan is still of the belief that all once we're in there, all of the old houses will flock to our king, our queen. Sorry, and Jorah is just, is not really. Or I guess he, actually he makes that argument too. The whole thing is weird.
2: Well, he says that the the old houses will flock to whoever they think will win.
1: Yes. Okay. That's what Jorah. That's Jorah's. That's argument. what Jorah says. Yeah.
2: So it's just kind of interesting
1: that there's still this. Slight existence of the perception that people will just jump on the Danny train, which yeah, she's like yeah. less and less inclined to believe. Thankfully, well,
2: and I mean part of the part of her little moment of clarity here is that it's not enough to just conquer, right? You gotta you gotta you, rule. You, you gotta learn how to rule too. Yeah. So, yeah. So when Jorah tells Danny that. Hey, after we left Yunkai,
1: the slave masters retook the city and put all the freedmen back into slavery. Oh, by the way, also in Astapor, the council you appointed to run the place has been overthrown by a butcher named Cleon, who who has declared himself his imperial majesty. Danny's like, okay, what the fuck? Kicks everybody out of the room, talks one-on-one with Jorah, uh, and Jorah's like, you could leave all of these issues behind right now. Sail for Westeros, say fuck all this. Uh, he, he explains to her that Westeros has never been more vulnerable. That there's just a boy sitting on the throne, a boy that many believe to be a bastard with a trash claim. But that's when Danny reaches her moment of clarity that Barrett just spoke to. She says, "How can I rule seven kingdoms if I can't control Slavers Bay? Why should anyone trust me? Why should anyone follow me?" Jorah says, "You're a Targaryen. You're the mother of dragons." Again, these these are things that Jorah still thinks matter more than they do. Danny, thankfully, is smarter and realizes like. I gotta have more experience before we go in there and try to run this whole show.
2: Well, yeah, I think Jorah's kind of—he's kind of sitting on the fence here because he's—he's telling her that they can go over there, but that to proceed with caution and that it's not just like a sure thing. Okay, you know what I mean? Like Baristan is very confident that they can take King's Landing. Jorah's like, yeah, but that's not enough. We got to take all the Seven Kingdoms. They want a ruler. They're going to flock to the house that they think it is like can or is winning, you know. But he's also, he's also like, he's just basically kind of playing both sides here. He's like, he's you, trying he's, to keep yeah, her he's as like,
1: informed you, as he can right. without he's like, going you all can in.
2: Go over there. You can do that. Like we ha- we do have the force to have a good shot of doing it. But it, but he's just. It's almost like he's walking her toward the
1: conclusion that she ends up making yeah, on her own. I I, I think so. Yeah, she says uh, she won't sail for
2: Westeros. I will do what queens do. I will rule. Also, I just I really hated. This was a great example of 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 a scene where I just really missed old Dario. New Dario when he like says the whole you know brought well, the nothing second to the sons took the, took the ships actually brought nothing to the he table jumped, here. He just comes off as like this slick playboy. He doesn't whereas old Dario had such he just mysterious, had more bravado charm
1: and yeah like, he had know? more swag yeah 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 uh, more yeah. swag or way more no i'm with, I, he, he literally could have not been in the scene it, it would off, not
2: have made a difference old dario came off as like cool and confident and a little cocky new dario is just like straight up like a you know a coxman
1: like you knew well but that's the thing is like you knew old dario was like this dude had fuck action whereas new dario you're like i don't know it just feels like you didn't like he wouldn't give you that much you yeah know? yeah i don't know yeah i don't know, yeah. I don't know. Over in the Veil, Littlefinger and Sansa arrive. Um, Littlefinger is like real cautious about Sansa being recognized. He wants her to put her hood up and maintain a low profile, doesn't want people to recognize her as Sansa. Um, the, The road to the Veil that we see Littlefinger and Sansa walking down here, and then later we see Arya and the Hound walking down, is this terrible narrow little pathway. It's walled in by mountains on both sides. And as it's explained to us here, it is the reason that essentially the veil is impenetrable. Um, you would have to have an insanely massive force and be willing to lose massive, massive numbers to successfully lay siege to this place. That's why the veil has never been overcome, as we are told in this scene, not in a thousand years. Um, and it really got me thinking, because as they're coming down that pathway, and I was trying to imagine like how a siege of this place would go down... It got me like Lord of the Rings-style battles up in my head. Yeah, you know there's yeah. those scenes where there's like 4,000 orcs or whatever on a tiny pathway yes, trying to beat down a door and shit? Yep. Uh, it made me think, like, okay, if this was the Lord of the Rings universe, what we would inevitably see is at some point the good guys using the veil as their like final stronghold or some shit, right? Mm. Is there any chance that the veil could serve a bigger picture purpose here and in season 8 potentially be a stronghold for humans against the white
2: walkers because geographically it is the most sound. I that's ve- that is some very critical thinking that you did there. I like it. Um cuz I I, I cuz I didn't go I didn't go that far with my thinking, but I I did I did note like how impressive that piece of land and that castle is. It's pretty wild. It's yeah, and that that it is such a stronghold. What I was what I was also thinking about is I'm sure Littlefinger had a lot of reasons for, you know, initially using Lysa as his pretty much his very first pawn, and that had to be one of them. Yeah. But I feel like one of the reasons why his endgame was Lord of the Vale was for this reason. You would think so, right? Is because it kind of it lessens the effect of both of how many men you have in particular, in particular, but even more importantly how many men somebody else has. Right. Because you could conceivably take, da- take down a 10,000-person army with only a 2,000-person one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't know what the ratio is, but there's a big-ass gap. You mentioned Lord of the Rings. I also think in the tale of the Spartans three hundred in, in a movie like 300, I think that's how they... Take down yeah some of, they some got of those armies as well as they like put they get narrow them, areas, They get them in narrow areas. Force you to come yeah. through
1: that narrow area, and then they, and uh, they just mow you down. Take out large numbers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't look. I don't know if that's realistic for us to think that at some point the veil could play a bigger role. Just because I don't know how we would get from where these battles are going to start all the way to the veil true, in the span true. of however many episodes we get. What six? So. It's a stretch, but it was just a thought that popped into my mind. Yeah. Thought I'd share it. Could be. Could be. Uh, Littlefinger ends up announcing Sansa as his niece Elaine to the guards at the Bloody Gate. And uh, again, just speaking to his, his level of secrecy here, trying to keep anybody from knowing who she is. We finally get into their little throne room here. And Lord Robert Aaron is sleeping on his mom's boobs, as he is wont to do, when Littlefinger and Sansa come walking in. Lady Aaron immediately recognizes Sansa. And uh, you can see it in Santa's face. It's kind of sad. Well, not not immediately sad, but it plays out as sad. She's a little excited that her aunt recognizes her. Like this is the, she's back with family again. You know what I mean? This is her aunt after all. Um, to be back in the care of family would be a really big deal for Sansa. And initially, she has no reason to know that her aunt is batshit crazy. So she's like a little
2: psych. Yeah, exactly. She got no idea what's going on here. She doesn't even know that she doesn't know that Robin can't, kid can't even run right. Yeah, what's wrong with this kid? <laughs> the kid is is they
1: cast him well because I feel like the actor is probably <laughs> just a turd out there too. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Uh huh. Um, Aunt Lysa tells her, you know, nobody can know you're here. Don't call me Aunt in front of anybody. Uh, we it, this has got to be a secret. And then Lord Aaron's, or I'm sorry, Lord Robert Robert, Robin, Robert, Robin, Robin. Sorry. Lord Robin Aaron, like a bird, the little tit sucker that he is, he escorts Sansa to her room. Then Lady Aaron immediately jumps on Littlefinger. She's kissing him, saying she wants to get married tonight. Uh, and it's just—it's kind of a reveal that this relationship between Littlefinger and her is much more intimate and developed than we were previously aware of, right? So,
2: yeah, this whole this whole little scene here is is. Very expository, massive info dump. Actually, yes, yeah. I mean, it's she she gives us she gives us everything right there. That, yeah, that, it's a crazy that, p- that they poisoned John Aaron and she faked the letter, wrote the letter that blamed the Lannisters and sent it to Cat and all that. The way she outlines it is is the is the first
1: time I think we fully understand the depth of Littlefinger's yeah, uh-huh. influence here. Everything we have seen on this show. Everything, starting back in season one, episode one, has been Littlefinger's doing. He is the one who has put all of these wheels in motion. Yes. Uh, This scene, even as it's a reveal, even as you're like, holy shit, I don't think, like, the first time I saw it, I don't think I really... It totally hits you. ...that the weight of it all hit me. But this is a crazy massive reveal. Yeah, I mean, he's been the puppet master. (laughs) And it's funny, it's almost like, Aunt Liza, as she's telling Littlefinger all this, really what she's doing is telling the audience. Yes. Right? Uh, exactly what she did for him, that she put those drops into her husband's wine at his behest, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's its just, it's a lot. And Littlefinger's like, damn, bitch, shut the fuck up. Like, what does he say? He's only speaking of it can make it real. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, they got away with it. Yes. So as long as no one ever says anything again. Faded into nothing. It's such, a good, it's such good little finger lines in this one. Um, and he has a great point. And it, you know, the whole reason he ends up getting rid of her really plays. She's the <laughs> only person who could fuck this all up for him. Yeah. And she won't shut up. So it's like, well, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Um, it's also the intensity of the betrayal. Like the fact that she wrote her own sister this letter that was a total and utter lie that ends up getting her and her almost entire family killed. Mm-hmm is just for, I, we knew this lady Aaron was off but man she, she's a she's a real sicko bitch that one. is crazy uh so little finger's like all right look 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 as long as you shut the fuck up i will marry you tonight um just be quiet i'm going to go take a shower i'll get dressed for the wedding then we'll call on the septin and we'll get this thing done and she just kind of laughs and then opens a door and the septin and like two witnesses or two guards or some shit the wedding ceremony is ready to go Right then and there, which is also interesting because she's. It wasn't as if they were like whispering to each other. What yeah, just was I had going the same on? the thought. Like if they three were three dudes right
2: outside the door, they definitely could have heard heard something that she said.
1: Like they open the door and, and the guys on the other side are like, "Oh my god, <laughs> wait, what? We heard all of that." <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, she drops. Uh, I'm warning you. I'm going to scream when my husband makes love to me. I'm going to scream so loud they'll hear me clean across the narrow sea. And Littlefinger's like, God damn it. <laughs> Who is she warning here? Is she warning the High Septon? Is she warning, little, warning Littlefinger's just, just a general warning? Just the whole room in Everyone should be warning warned. everybody. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it turns out, uh, not a liar <laughs> in this regard. She is quite the screamer, and Sansa is forced to lie awake listening to her aunt scream and moan the entire night. The only consolation for Sansa, she's sleeping on a Lisa mattress, uh, which, as we know, is the most comfortable mattress in the Seven Kingdoms. And you, too, as a member of the Clam Fam, a listener of Oysters, Clams, and Cockles, can get your own Lisa mattress by going to Lisa.com, L-E-E-S-A.com slash dragon. Dragon. You will get $130 off your mattress purchase, plus a free Lisa pillow, which would normally cost you 75 bucks more. Pillow dragon yeah pillow and uh lisa.com slash dragon if you go through that domain that url rather and you decide well i want to get the sapira by lisa which is the lisa is memory foam technology right the sapira is slightly more expensive but it combines memory foam and spring technology you can get 200 dollars off that by going through lisa.com slash dragon the sapira is the one that barrett and i both own we both love it Uh, It's fantastic. You can try it in your home for 100 nights risk free with free shipping always on all the Lisa mattresses. They've also continued to expand to offer uh, Lisa pillows, which I have, what, like, I think I have four or five of them now, and they're fucking unbelievable.
2: Technology. I just got a Lisa
1: blanket. Shit is great. It is my best blanket. Uh, Sheets, foundations, frames. All this is available online with free shipping. So go to lisa.com, L E E S A dot com. Slash dragon, dragon today. Take advantage of that deal as a member of the clan fam, and sleep like Sansa, listening to her Aunt Lysa Moon uh, on Elisa In King's Landing, Cersei meets with her pops Tywin to discuss plans for royal wedding 2.0 between Tommen and Marjorie. This whole thing is pretty funny, like low key funny. Uh, Tywin wants to know when the wedding's going to go down, and Cersei's like, "As soon as decency permits it." And he says, "A fortnight,
2: <laughs> two weeks—that's that, two weeks." Isn't that fourteen days? That is two weeks. <laughs> Which One is... of the things that Game of Thrones has taught me—I'll never, I'll never forget this. Fortnight is two weeks. Yeah, I never knew what a fortnight was well, before Fortnite, then. Fortnite is also the greatest video game ever made. But yes, a fortnight as Lincoln used it two weeks Fortnite. great you are confident in saying greatest video game ever created at this point point. one of them
1: one of them i'm confident in that i won't say it is the greatest <laughs> okay um tywin talks about how he didn't like robert and i've I, I made a note of this it is in no way important to the plot but it's very weird and like not very tywin-esque he says he used to pat me on the back a lot which is hilarious because that's exactly the type of dude that Robert was. And everybody knows that machismo <laughs> guy who comes up and yeah. he's like a
2: backslapper. He's yeah, always yeah. slapping you on the back. And you hate it. And every, everybody hates it. And him. no one likes that. Yeah. It's
1: like, God, dude, stop fucking touching me. It's some weird dominance thing. Like yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's alpha male exerting dominance. But it's not usual of Tywin to give detail on why he doesn't like a person. Normally he doesn't need a reason. He would just say, I fucking hated that guy. And nobody mm-hmm. would ask why. So it's weird that he goes out of his way to be like, to make such a specific complaint. <laughs> he used to pat me on the back a lot. Out of all the shit he could have said, he whored around on my daughter. He was a terrible king. He was a fat fuck. None of that.
2: He used to pat me on the back a lot. It just well, made me you laugh. You always remember, like, the, it's the little, it's the pet peeves. The annoyances. You know, yeah. yeah, the little annoyances that really grind your gears. I just loved
1: that. That's what he has boiled down the... Uh, Legacy of Robert Baratheon. Robert Baratheon, in a nutshell, patted on the back a lot. patted people on the back too much. That's all he got left. Um, Tywin says the Tyrells are their only true rivals in terms of resources, which is important. Says they need them on their side. Uh, he also gives us a very important detail about the current state of the Lannister finances when he asks Cersei if she knows how much gold has been mined in the Westerlands this past year. First of all, Barrett, what the fuck are the Westerlands? That's where Casterly Rock is. So, it's just the lands to the west? Is that? Yeah. Is it like. Yes. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, if we yes. called it like in the southeast or whatever? Okay. So, the westerlands are where Casterly Rock is. I it's mean,
2: a, that is the name of the region. like that's literally like, what it's called. Like, River Run is a. Okay. In the cool. stormlands. That's what I wasn't clear on. So and this the is, westerlands. That's specifically and, what and it's Westerland, called. And the Casterly Rock is in the westerlands. Got it. Yeah. Okay, yeah.
1: Well, it turns out none. No gold. Zero gold. Their last working mine ran dry three years ago, which. That seems like a really fucking long time, yeah, considering they the kind of money Yeah, they have been putting
2: everything out. on their Chase Sapphires for, like, three years now. Which is going it's to all
1: on credit. obviously become an issue. Um, yeah.
2: So, the point being, the
1: Lannister Empire is kind of crumbling beneath their feet as they run out of money. Uh, and Tywin kind of gets into the relationship with the Iron Bank here. And essentially, in his opinion, the Iron Bank is the most powerful institution in the world. It all comes down to the Iron Bank at the end of the day. And he, the way he puts it is like, most people don't realize this, but that's the way it is. And that that perspective from Tywin is just interesting. Uh, on the road with Arya and the Hound, Arya is running through her list trying to go to sleep, as she often does. And this is her list as it sits today. Joffrey, Cersei, Walder Frey, Meryn Trant, Tywin Lannister, the Red Woman, who she threw on there for... What reason? I know we figured this out, but...
2: The red woman Because she comes took in... Gendry?
1: Yes. It's not yeah. that hard to get on Arya's list anymore. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to kill anybody. You just take them. Don <laughs> uh, Dondarian, Thoros of Myr? You got good guys left and right on here now. Uh, and then Payne, who clearly deserves it, in the mountain. The Hound wakes up and is like, would you shut up? And she's like, I can't sleep until I say the names. And the Hound says, the names of every fucking person in Westeros? Which is just a joke about how many names are on the list. Uh, He remarks that hate is as good a thing as any to keep a person going, which is a very cool, you know, houndy line and says, if you see my brother, maybe we can both cross a name off our lists." which made me immediately think of the scene we see in season seven when he tells the mountain point blank, you know, who's coming for you. You've always known. And again, it just confuses me even further. Wondering if he's talking about himself, if he's talking about Arya or what the hell he's talking about. Um he tells Arya like go on, finish your list so you can go to sleep, and she says, Only one name left, the Hound. And he like sits up in his bed, like looks over at her like, Fuck. Oh <laughs> uh, man, it's good stuff. We don't get much from them in that scene. It's almost like they were like, Just remember, the Hound and Arya are still out there doing stuff. And this is the current state of the list. Uh at the Vale. We get this very tense and uncomfortable scene between Lady Aaron and Sansa about how lucky she is to have Peter, Peter Baelish, Littlefinger, caring for her. She literally tells her that, like, you're so lucky to have him caring for you. And Sansa says, yes, I'm very lucky, because she knows how unlucky she has been. (laughs) Her life has been a living hell for an extended period of time. Nothing about it has been lucky. So she's kind of like taken aback by the fact that her aunt would think that. And that's when Lady Erin starts to become unraveled and just go berserk. She's like, what have you let Peter do with your body? Your young, pretty body. It it just, it gets very strange. Very quickly. Aye. Santa says, all he ever says is I'm a stupid little girl with stupid <laughs> dreams who never learns. And I'm a terrible liar. So I should always tell the truth. I love how she says stupid. Um... And then you can see it in her eyes. Santa's like, you have got to be kidding me. I finally get back to a relative, somebody of my own flesh and blood, and it's the one goddamn crazy ancestor who's still alive.
2: Yeah, really unfortunate. And, I mean, just to go into the depths of just how psychotic uh, Aunt Lysa is, I mean, like, the whole thing is just set up. Like, she feeds her the sweet cakes and then starts talking telling her story about her mom and... Tells her that she's so lucky to have Littlefinger watching after her, and basically coaxes her into agreeing with that, and then then so down she her can throat. attack her. Yeah, yeah, and it's just it's really you know it's poor Sansa so and just really cannot catch a
1: break. If you look at it big picture, Lysa Aaron is one of the most twisted characters ever in the show. Yes, the amount of evil that she has done is right up there with Walder Frey. <laughs> it's seriously. She murdered her own husband. Yeah. She she betrayed her own sister into her death eventually. Like I I want to be I want to make sure we we capitalize on that. This lady deserves full credit for being as evil as she is. Then anyway, she gives, you know, yeah, drops another bomb
2: here on That, she,
1: that she wants her to marry her fucking little titty baby Robin and become Lady of the Veil. Vale. Yeah.
2: So cousin now, cousin cousins marrying cousins
1: yeah cousins kissing cousins uh
2: but the other thing is <laughs> the other takeaway
1: for me here is like it's a good opportunity to remember all of the bullshit that Sansa goes through it's just kind of never ending for four seasons and it can get lost on you if you're really not paying attention and like making note of each horrible thing she gets through before she finally makes her way back to winterfell and starts to run the house this is another one where it's just she just got forcibly married to Tyr- Tyrion Lannister Now she's already being told By her insane aunt That she's gonna marry His shitty Her shitty little son And become Lady of the Vale It's just like God I I just feel so bad For Sansa It's it's a lot That she endures A lot And we're not even Too Ramsay Bolton yet Or uh, Wait yeah Ramsay Bolton yet Which is Just a whole nother ball game Yep Damn shame Hey, as a member of the Fam, you can also get great deals on our in-house clothing brand. This is owned and operated and and invented by us here at Grand X. It's called Rowdy Gentleman is the name of the brand. We're inventors. We invented this shit here at Grand X. If you go to RowdyGentleman.com, you can check out all of our newest from the Spring 2018 collection, including fantastic Hawaiian shirts and T-shirts and hats and swim trunks, arguably the greatest-looking swim trunks and best-fitting swim trunks in the game, in my opinion. The code is the same, SUMAI, invoke it at checkout, S-U-M-A-I, and you'll get 10% off your whole order at Rowdy
2: Gentlemen. Any particular product you'd like to recommend, Barry? Uh, I mean, I would just say, I mean, look, this spring 2018 stuff has, has been live for a couple months now, but maybe you've just been putting it off. I mean, summer is not even technically here by, by the way the seasons work. So, But now is the time. I, I just saw in the forecast for, for Austin this it's getting week. getting hot. We're, we're probably going to hit triple digits for the first time later this week. Uh, May is a little early for that, unfortunately, but it's going to happen, and that means it's probably going to be hot where you are too. Now is the time to go check this shit out. It is perfect for spring and summer. The swim trunks, are, are I think, are, are the highlight for me i would um, agree with you on that yeah they're, they're, they're fantastic su- they're super super dope they're really it, the material is awesome it's they're very wearable as like a hybrid short as well they're like still like a quick dry material but it's kind of thick and durable feels almost it's, it's more substantial than just like a flimsy swim trunk so you my can wear, personal you can wear them around on the daily too are the mezcalitos? the mezcalitos are selling like hotcakes.
1: So. they are fire very good design yeah um Outside of that, the, the Hawaiian, I mean, told you vacation wear. If you're looking to hats, go on vacation teas, sometime Hawaiians, soon, yeah. if you're looking to go to the pool or the lake or a beach house or anything like that, uh, RowdyGentleman.com's got you covered. Sumai at checkout, invoke it, do it. Back on the road with Brienne and Pod, our new buddy cop duo. And uh, Pod is having trouble riding his horse. Much to the annoyance of Brienne. Not a lot of experience on horseback, it turns out, from Podrick. And uh, Brienne says that they're headed to Castle Black, so now we have a destination for these two, because Sansa's brother is in the Night's Watch, and if she was her, that's where she would go. Um, I I wanted to make a note here that how far of a limb she goes out on. She's guessing that Sansa Stark might go to Castle Black, that's the whole reason for their journey. Mm.
2: That is a long ass trip to get there, go pretty much the farthest trip you can make. Yes.
1: And to go, A <laughs> Santa Stark here. And if they're like, oh no, nah, we don't know who that is, she's like, Oh well fuck. Okay. I guess we'll try another spot. This that, is why you
2: need cell phones. Yeah, that is that's a good point. They are taking the farthest possible journey to on like on just a hunch. On not, just like a maybe. It's not safe either. No. Not, nothing. None of this is safe. Um, brand, yeah, I mean, so it's
1: theoretically... Like that's sh- that's gonna take them like a month at I, least. I was trying to come up with the time frame, and I, I just well, a long I'm, I'm I'm time. basing
2: it off of when when Robert comes up to what uh, Winterfell. Winterfell. Thank you. Yeah. Um. On the Kings Road. Right. They say that that was like a yeah two or three month journey. Right. Now they had like the whole shebang. Kit and Caboodle. They had people. I think people are walking even. Well, but the, and that's coming from the opposite direction, though, right? King's Landing to the south. Yeah, that's 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 where Brienne and Poe oh, rode, yeah. rode off from. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so longer than a month. So probably. Well, but there, it's just two people. They don't yeah. have the whole. That's true. Brigade, the whole caravan. And they're but both. Then again, both on horses. One of the two can. Light.
1: One of the two can barely ride a
2: horse. Yeah. So, so probably. I'm, that's why I'm going to just say like four to six weeks. A long
1: ass time. Yeah. yeah. Uh Brienne ends up trying to release Podrick from his oath to be her squire and tell him he can leave. And he's like, nah, I'm good. I'm just gonna stay. I don't really I don't really have anywhere else to go. Yeah, exactly. She's what else is like, gonna do? She's just like, God damn it, okay. Fuck. Uh back on the road with Arya and the Hound. The hound wakes up and can't find Arya. She's off practicing her water dancing, as she calls it. With he's kind of shook though, after he heard first, his name like, on the list. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah, where is she? Um, he rips on her for dancing style. There's beautiful, uh, wordplay from, from the hound in this scene entire. I mean, he's just shredding her the whole time. Uh, Arius says that she was trained by the greatest swordsman in the world who was killed by Meryn Trant, and the hound damn near shits himself laughing. He just like, camp. He's like the greatest swordsman in the world killed by Marin fucking Trant. He's got, he's the actor's so good. Yeah. Um, and in the end he tells her like, go on, make a move, try to kill me. Basically. And she stabs him right in the chest with needle, and it doesn't even pierce his armor. So he backhand pimp slaps her to the ground <laughs> and says, your friends are all dead and Marion Trant's not because Trant had armor and a big fucking sword. So the lesson here, I guess, for Arya is like respect the fact that guys like me who are giant and ride around with all this armor, we're not going to go down because you poked us with that little thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to figure out exactly like what, what was the what the point what was. the takeaway here was, and I, I think that's a good that's a good read. Like it's, she's it's not there yet;
1: she's not there in terms of being dangerous enough to be a threat to people like him.
2: Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, she needs that, more training. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. So that's I mean, because I sat there for a minute, was like, the fuck was I mean, I love it, but what the fuck was the point? What was the and point? That's right. got to be it.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, in King's Landing, Cersei visits Oberyn Martell while he is uh, writing poetry. He's writing a poem for one of his daughters. Turns out he has eight of them. And uh, he makes a note to Cersei that the fifth one is very difficult, and he named her Elia for his late sister. Are, are the,
2: these are, are these the Sand Snakes? Are his daughters the Sand Snakes? I think yeah. he, it, three of them. There's a lot of other ones, though, okay. it appears.
1: But yes, because I think the, his paramour, Ilaria right. is also his sister. I, no, not related. Okay. I don't think they are either, but this all got very confusing in this scene when he's outlining all this. Like, anyway, but the point is, he named one of his kids after his late sister, who yes. got uh, murdered and raped and mutilated by the Mountain at what he believed to be the command of Tywin, which he apparently has since made peace with. Anyway, the whole thing with Oberyn and where he stands with the Lannisters is very much up in the air at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, Cersei tries to like level with even further with uh, Oberyn here, more leveling and uh, compares the death of Elia to the death of Joffrey. And she, she paints this beautiful, like, really good point about how, what the hell is the point of you, Oberyn, being one of the most famous fighters and well-renowned lovers and richest men in the world, and me, Cersei, daughter of the most powerful man on the planet, mother of the king. What good is all this power? We couldn't even use it to protect the ones we loved. And it kind of puts into perspective for you why she's doing all the leveling she's doing in this episode. It's because she's had this kind of epiphany. Power, it's by itself, is not going to cut it. Managing all this shit is going to take more than power, so she's doing what she can to try to better her circumstances with people that she probably doesn't like in more than one area in this episode, which is cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um... She then takes Oberyn on a walk, uh, tells her she hasn't seen her daughter, uh, Marcella in forever, and uh, Oberyn says that the last time he saw her, she was swimming with two of his girls in the water gardens, laughing in the sun, which the picture that's being painted of us for Dorne here, it's, it sounds so fucking awesome. It's yeah. like, why don't we all just go to Dorne? Yeah, she's on vacay. Screw all this shit. Yeah, she's like it, just kicking it in the islands at the, on the beach. Water gardens? No, water gardens in King's Landing. Um, Cersei is a little skeptical of this. She's like, "I want to believe that. Like, I want to believe Marcella is happy." And Oberyn's like, "It's no joke. Like, I give you my word. We don't hurt little girls in Dorne." And Cersei makes an interesting retort to that: "Everywhere in the world, they hurt little girls." What did you,
2: What did you think she meant by that? Um, I kind of just I, for well, one, I I'm always uncomfortable when they talk about when they little girls it just it just has like this like weird like you know molestation type of it does connotation sure. and it and it and it bothers me even even when oberon says like we don't hurt little girls in thorn it's like well okay yeah why would you hurt little girls like how about yeah. you just how about well, you just it, nice to women in general the universe we're looking at is very cold yeah. yeah right so but but you know it's it's like one of those things well okay well yeah you shouldn't nobody nowhere should so I just kind of took it. I ain't never been to jail. <laughs> You're not supposed to go to jail,
1: you dumb motherfucker.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it's that whole yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. That's I I was thinking of the Chris Rock bit right. in my head. I just didn't say it. Um, so for for me, it was just more kind of one of the overarching themes of Game of Thrones, especially all of the first seasons, which is like women are treated unfairly. Yeah, it really caught me, and, and the world. Westeros in general is like very shitty to women. It it was interesting because it's like all right, what year did season four come out? Was this four years ago? I think we we talked about this. Yeah, so before the Me Too
1: movement, before any of the like stuff that's progressed Mm -hmm. in uh, in society uh, since then, but this line itself really called to that for me, like fit into that into the whole right, right, you know. Everywhere in the world, they hurt little girls. Like, it just kind of made. It was deep. It was a heavy, heavy cutter yeah. from Cersei to be like, you, no matter what you think, the way that our world operates mistreats little girls everywhere. They hurt little girls. Um, she then tasks Oberyn with sending Marcella a ship as a gift. Which, what, what's she supposed to do with the ship? Like, what you,
2: sail it. She's got. She's gonna sail it. Down in the in the bay, she's like twelve years old. (laughs) Hey, natural born. She's a natural born uh, sailor. It's like sending your eight year old a Ferrari. There you
1: go, (laughs) enjoy. Like little Tay, you want to talk about? No, let's not.
2: Yeah, shout out to little Tay. No, killing the game. Youngest (laughs) are alive.
1: (laughs) Barrett just recently (laughs) discovered little Tay, and it's 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 all it's all bad so far. Uh, Anyway, when Cersei's talking to Oberyn about this, she starts crying. When she's giving him the message to give Marcella to tell uh, tell her that her mother misses her very much. And it made me think, do we ever get a more pure moment of emotion without any ulterior motive, without any fakeness or game playing from Cersei ever? I don't know that we do.
2: Maybe when Joffrey was dead. Yeah, except for that this feels like partially game playing too. Is it though? Yeah, because she's there to get in his head about being a judge as well. A little bit. I think but she, I thought I that think was it's, just
1: the first part of the conversation. You know what I mean? Like the second part seemed real to me.
2: Yeah, but I, I, I think underlying all of it is is
1: still the fact that he's a. It's still
2: like it, she's showing this kind of more vulnerable side. I think
1: to manipulate him, manipulate him, okay. and like maybe
2: think like, well, look how real and true and honest she's being now. Maybe if she really believes Tyrion did it, maybe he did it.
1: Because that's the play she was making. It should be noted; we, I should have mentioned this earlier. That when she's pointing out, "You lost, Elia. I lost, Joffrey." She, she's saying, "Wouldn't you do anything you could to make sure that the person who killed Elia yeah. got justice?" That's what I'm trying to do with my son. You're one of the judges. Hey, mm-hmm. can you let's fucking do this? Yeah. Uh, but the part with Marcella was a little more like, I thought I thought it was real. but you, I
2: think. Even if it was, I do. Real, I do. I do think the moment talking about Marcella is, yeah, definitely real. I mean, she. This is, but it's still all underscored by the
1: y- right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, on the road with Brian and Pod again. Pod fails very miserably at attempting to cook rabbit. I don't know. This is like one of those things. As a guy who can't cook, you just have to be forthright about it. And he tried to play it off and figure out how to cook rabbit when he's never cooked rabbit before, and he completely blew it. Um, and that's when Brienne is like, "What the fuck did you do for Tyrion?" <laughs> he's like, "Well, mostly I poured wine, he, other than like doing his laundry and you know making his bed and shit." Yeah. Uh, Brienne starts to take off her armor, and Pod rushes over to help her because he's a squire, and that's what you're supposed to do. And Brienne's like, "Dude, get the fuck off of me." I can take my own armor off. I've been taking my own armor off my whole life. Uh, Podrick does mention that he killed a member of the Kingsguard who tried to kill Lord Tyrion at the Battle of the Blackwater. And Brienne's like, how did you kill a Kingsguard? And we get, for the first time, kind of how Pod really felt about the fact that he had... He he says, I pushed a spear through the back of his head. But he's not happy about no, it. No, uh-uh. He's, it still has an effect on him that he had to kill a man uh, even for somebody that he cared about that was he was taking care of and doing his job and in the end Brienne kind of sees that and as she continues to struggle with her own armor which again it should be noted he, this is brand new fancy armor that she got from Jamie that he had made for her that's right so she's never used it before Yeah, it'd yeah, be yeah, like yeah. if you get like a brand new fancier uh, you know like hockey goalie suit and you didn't know how to take it off yet you need help and Pod comes over and uh, gives her that help. Which is nice of her to finally let him do a little bit of his job. Because he does know how to do this shit. In Craster's Keep, John and his squad arrive to address the mutineer issue. Locke has absolutely no trouble sneaking into camp as all of the morons in Crazy Carl's crew are just getting shitfaced and committing rape and running around not paying attention. There's no guards posted or anything. And Locke sees in this small little... Um, Hut, John, Mira, Jojen, and Hodor tied up, and this is where we start to see. Because for a minute there, it's like okay, Locke joined up with the Nights Watch. We know his end game is to kill Jon Snow to prevent any type of situation, power struggle in the North, which his Lord Bolton is trying to completely take over. And now we see finally how he thinks he's going to intend on doing
2: that. Like he he discovers Bran. He discovers Jojen Mira, Odor. And, and was Locke in on the conversation about the two younger Stark boys being alive as well? Yes. So he's aware that one of those could be him, and then he confirms it when he
1: goes in there and interviews him in a minute. Yeah. But yeah, so he's he's privy to all that. Um anyway, in that room, Jojen is coughing. He looks rough as hell. He's like sweaty and clammy and shit still. And Mira says he needs water, and Jojen's like, it doesn't matter. He it seems he has resigned himself to death. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, uh, we, we don't have a lot of how, why yeah. he's as sick as he is. The other kid's than in the bad fact, shape, though, yeah. But he's fucked up. And it's he appears to be aware of the fact that he is dying. And then he has this vision of Bran at a hill with a great weirwood tree. And Bran's like, oh, I've seen that too. Jojen says, uh, Mira and I, even Hodor, we're only here to guide you. He is waiting for you. You have to find it. You have to make it. This, this is not the end, not for you, not yet. And Mira asks, how will we know the end? And Jojen is staring like blankly at his hand. And he's, he's obviously like having a lot of trouble here. He's like hallucinating. But then we see from his perspective, his hand is on fire in this vision he's having. Mm-hmm. And he says, you'll know. And I wanted to talk about this for a minute. Like, what does this mean? Is he seeing his own death? By fire brands, what is the fire symbolizing here? What what exactly is this? Uh, I
2: I don't know because it seems important.
1: It. Like it's 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 unusual that there would be something like this of a hint. I mean, it reminded me as far back as season four that I can't immediately point
2: to and be like, it, it I'll reminded tell you what me this of is. like Barak's sword being lit a flame. Yeah, uh, but I didn't. I don't know. It
1: but, just seems like fire could... Because ver- remember when Jojen dies, he gets taken out by like one of those skeleton yes, things popping yeah. up out of the ground or whatever. So there's no fire there, right? He just gets pummeled or something. I don't know what... There's you remember? The, the,
2: the children of the forest are throwing those fireballs.
1: To protect them? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, anyway, point being... I'm just, I don't know if we've seen what this is yet that he's
2: alluding to. I mean, fire is obviously important. It's. I know fire is going to play a much bigger role moving forward. So I, too. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. But I don't know what if there's like specific significance. Okay. Well, somebody, it's just weird that he said, you'll know. Somebody can call in. Maybe and tell he us. didn't know. He saw the hand on fire and was like, I don't know what the fuck this means. I don't know what the yeah, fuck this means. Yeah. says, you'll how know. will we know when it's the end? And he just says, you'll know. Yeah. And I think he just figured out. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, well, Locke returns back to John
1: in the camp And he's like, hey, there are 11 men Most of them are drunk, there's no guards They don't seem to have a care in the world uh, And Grin pipes in Carl was the top paid cutthroat in Flea Bottom I've seen what he can do with a knife He's basically being like, look, we need to be careful about this Carl guy The Most of them might be slab dicks But Carl can slang knives And he's not fucking around Grin was spot on um, Locke then tells John there's a hut on the west side of the keep. It's the one where he saw Bran and Jojen and Mira and Hodor. Yeah. He says they should steer clear of it because there are hounds chained up inside and the closer they can get uh, without the dog smelling them, the better. So he thinks up a little you know, scheme there to keep Jon away from possibly recognizing his brother. Uh, later that night, after the Night's Watch has been laying low, waiting for their chance to pounce, Carl goes to rape Mira. He brings a squad with him, and uh, in order to get him to stop or at least delay him, Jojen tells Crazy Carl that he had a vision. I saw you die tonight. I saw the snow fall and bury your bones. And just then someone yells to arms, and all the fighting starts. A night's watch comes in. Locke fights his way to Bran and is going to take him hostage. He cuts his leg to ensure that it's Bran, so he's very much aware that he has one of the Stark boys now. This is a very big fucking problem. He picks him up and starts to run off with him, just as Brand wargs into Hodor, and uses Hodor to chase Locke and Brand into the woods. Then Hodor picks Locke up by the neck and snaps his head off his spinal cord.
2: Yeah, um, this was pretty shocking to me. I, I was I was like very uh, going into this. I was like super nervous about Locke doing his thing. I could right? not. I could not remember how this ended. I totally forgot too. It happened so and I, fast, and I guess this is why I forgot because. Yeah. It's very easy and kind of uneventful. Yeah. It, like Bran just wargs into Hodor, which by the way, why didn't he just do that a while back? I guess because there were too many guys and now they're finally pre- I think, preoccupied with something else. I think
1: it might also be a situation where it has to be a dire need for him to be able to pull it to off. Do it. Like yeah, he doesn't maybe, have the okay. full concentration abilities yet to do it whenever he wants. It has to be a situation where it's like, you know what I mean? Like, you know how they say when mothers are their right, kids are in right, danger, right. they yeah, can pick get, up a car yep. or whatever. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. so,
2: yeah. So he just walks into Hodor and like, boom, next snap. It's over. Yeah. It's, and the reason
1: it, I think it's, I'm with you is, is because Locke seemed like he was being built up as this longer term villain. Right. And then he accomplishes nothing. and He's gets dispatched his, his, very quickly. His head and easily. snapped off his neck. <laughs> yeah. And then and it's just over. Yeah. Yeah. It's just unusual. Uh, it was also very cool. Um, Hodor immediately comes to after snapping his head And is like what the fuck did I just do He's got like blood on his hands He has no idea what's going on He grabs a knife, cuts Bran loose And Bran sends him immediately to go free Jojen and Mira And Bran can see Jon fighting in the distance And he's like crawling towards him Obviously he does not have the use of his legs And he doesn't have Hodor there to drag him or or carry him And he's crawling towards Jon Yelling his name Uh, Jojen comes up As Bran continues to yell for John, and he tells him, like, look, dude, if your brother sees you, he's not going to let you go north. You are not going to be able to go find the Three-Eyed Raven. You have to decide right now, basically, if you want to fulfill your destiny or if you want to take the easy road and
2: go back with your brother and be safe with your family or whatever. I also just want to throw in here. um, If somebody that you like and care about or love is right in the middle of a sword fight against many other dudes— Probably not the best idea to try to distract them by yelling their name uh, as a long-lost family member. Not well thought out. Hey, John, look who it is. I'm over here. He's like, holy what? shit, Branch. Boom, Shank. Yeah. Just Hey, dumb. it's my brother. I haven't seen him in <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you don't want that. Yeah, don't do that. Stop that, Bran. Fucking Bran.
1: But you got to give him this. He quickly makes the right decision. Yeah. The mature decision, the hard decision, and says, Hodor, we need to free Summer, and we need to go uh john then busts in on crazy carl who's slitting the throat of a member of the night's watch in his hut and carl is armed with two knives and it's like what it reminded me of is like uh like fighting the final boss in the level of a video game yes yeah like a badass knife fighter like this is the last guy you got to get through he's got these two knives he's doing his dance and shit it's a big test for john though the most experienced fighters we've seen him go up against are, what, like, Corrin half-hand, mm-hmm. and that was, like, the game was rigged. Right. Corrin was, like, basically taking a dive. The fix was in. And uh, we have been warned here that Crazy Carl was, like, the top assassin in Flea Bottom or whatever. So going into it, as a, as a viewer anyway, you're like, fuck, this could get intense. And, it, oh, intense, it does get. Mm. Carl stabs John, like, near the hip at one point. He, so he gets, like, he makes knife contact. Mm-hmm. He actually ends up just point-blank, one-on-one, beating John. And right as he goes for the killing stroke, one of Craster's daughters stabs him in the back with a knife and then being the psycho moron that he is, he turns around to deal with her. And we get what maybe the most gnarly death we've ever seen on the show? Maybe? Yeah, it's up to this point. I mean, I I can't think of one later. Well, we
2: get a very similar one with... uh, Oh, yeah. Kid and Dorn. yeah. Well anyway,
1: he John puts long claws straight through the back of Carl's head and out through his mouth. And it's like just the way it's shown on camera mm-hmm. is unlike anything I've ever seen before. I was like, Holy shit. Like yeah. his mouth pops open, a sword comes out, right, and then you get the side view that's John just with the sword through his whole head. Yes, it's very yeah. gnarly.
2: Yeah, it's kind of more of the death that I think people wanted to see, Joffrey. Joffrey get. Right. Yeah. But hey, we got it for Carl, yeah. and Carl was a real piece of shit. Yeah, he was.
1: Um, but it is important to note that John is it, it, he lost, right? It, it reminded me of like Ned Stark at the I Tower mean, he of Joy. Be, he may be lost, probably, probably. His sword's pinned down. Probably lost until that chick comes and saves his ass. But it reminded me of Ned at the Tower of Joy. When he's bested by the true, sword of the true. morning, and then his boy comes in and puts a sword through the but, the... I, I
2: ju- but I do I do have to say, I mean I know it was close quarters, so that so it's harder to wield the broadsword uh-huh. like that, but it is hard to imagine that a good fighter like John with a sword, like you would even be able to stand a chance with two knives. I mean I know Carl's good, Carl's but like if you just start, if you just why not if you just start swinging that sword at the dude's shoulder,
1: but the knife thing is also a problem. Cause, like you could throw a knife, yeah.
2: I don't know, man. I don't know. I that yeah, and like it was close quarters, so it's harder to close beat, swing swing that sword tough. around. Yeah. yeah, it's tough. Uh Alas,
1: crazy Carl is no more. All right, got crazy Carl. Crazy Carl got got. He got got. Um. Turns out, as a result of this fight, they lost five brothers, counting Locke. And when they show John Locke's dead body, he's like, what in seven hells could do that to a man? And then they quickly move on. No one sees Okay. New guy. New guy's gone. Yeah, new guy. Man, he was good, too. Really liked him. Bummer. <laughs> uh, there are ten dead mutineers. Locke said there were 11 of them. So Grin is like, where's that piece of shit, Rast? Then we see Rast running through the woods until he, founds, he finds a little hut. It looks like the hut where Sam was uh before he killed the white walker i don't know if it is the same hut but all in all i was trying to remember what happens here i was like oh fuck does a white walker come out and get his Uh dumb ass uh because we've been hating rast for like eight episodes now i feel like this guy fucking sucks but no it's ghost out of nowhere
2: just jumps right back into the picture takes out rast presumably eats his face off yeah, he, so he broke out of Ghost broke out of the little cage. Yeah. And he, that got me thinking, like, because we talked about it in the other episode. Maybe like, he didn't do it until he wanted to. Ex- yeah. 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 So he got the fuck out of there. He ate
1: Rast. Uh, and then he returns to John. And John's like, holy shit, it's Ghost. It's this, this cool reunion. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Ghost has blood all over his mouth. And it's almost like John just knows yeah, that he just killed right, Rast. He doesn't right. even ask. He's like, yeah. that's how. He's like, I missed you, boy. Um, anyway, we finally get that reunion, which was. It doesn't last long. I'll just say that. Enjoy what we got because it, we go back to the direwolves being too expensive or complicated or whatever the reason is, and and them not being as involved again. But got rast and and we got to take what we can get. Um, John then decides he's like, all right, we got to do something with these chicks. We'll bring Craster's daughters with us, and I'm unclear, Barrett, on what happens here. They're I, basically I, like they nah. decline. Yeah. And he's like, what? You want to stay here in Craster's Keep? And they're like, fuck no. Burn it to the ground and, and all the dead with it. We're not staying here. Fuck mm-hmm, this place. Mm-hmm. So they don't stay there, but they don't want to go with the Night's Watch. That's the situation. They're Yep, like, well, yep. And they just agree to let him do their own thing. They're like, we'll make it on our own. Yeah. Okay. So they do. They burn Craster's Keep to the ground, and it's kind of this cool ending scene to the episode. Uh, it's like the end of an era north of the wall is what you should look at it as because yeah, yeah. there's no more Craster's Keep. This was like this one stronghold that the Night's Watch had north of the Wall and uh, has played this massive role in the way that everything plays out. And it made me ask one more question before we close up here. Do we think Craster's Keep was the only source of human babies for the White Walkers?
2: Because I mean, it's the only one we're aware of. It's, your, it's definitely the only one we're aware of. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if that, that could, you know, potentially be a bigger deal, but... I guess they could have
1: been getting wildling babies elsewhere. Probably, yeah, for sure. It just... It obviously makes it even more important in the grand scheme of things that yeah, Craster yeah. his keep, true, and all that true. shit is gone. Is no longer a source of more fucking generals for the White Walkers. Yep. Whatever they do, raising their young, we don't know. Anyway, the credits roll, and that's the episode. Uh, all in all, another great one, and uh, always good when you get Ghost involved. A lot of like you know, a lot of Cersei that we're not accustomed to seeing. Mm-hmm. A lot of different diff- different. Kind of deal with her this whole episode that was that was really cool to me. Uh, we will be back next Monday to talk about the sixth episode of season four. Moving right along. That one's titled The Laws of Gods and Men. Written by uh, the Cogman, Brian Cogman. And directed by Alex Sakharov. Remember, you can go to manoutfitters.com and invoke Sumai at checkout to get 15% off your whole order. If you spend $150 or more. And you should definitely go to manoutfitters.com slash grill master grill master and enter the uh grill master giveaway over two thousand dollars in prizes plus five chances to win reality rowdy you can also vote invoke sumaya check out follow the show on instagram at oysters clams and cockles and on twitter at clams and cockles where we pump out content related to the latest episode of the show also just general game of thrones humor and funny shit and uh updates on when the latest episodes are going to release or any special events or anything like that you can also like us on facebook.com slash oysters clams cockles if for whatever reason you feel compelled i don't even know what facebook is for at this point um you can follow me ross Bolin, on all social media instagram snapchat and twitter at wr Bolin. barrett where can the clam fam follow you oh i am out there anywhere where you want to find me at barrett dudley lovely uh, eight, six, six, four, three clams is our hotline number. Call with questions, clam fam, corrections, whatever. Uh, we would very much appreciate it if you are enjoying the night's rewatch. If you would go on iTunes, not only subscribe to the podcast as you should have already, but leave us a rating and write a quick review, a five star rating and a review go a long way. It takes you less than a minute. And, uh, it's a great way to show your f- support for the show and for us to continue to recruit for the night's rewatch and glow- grow the clam fam. So please, please, please rate and review if you have not already, and you're a longtime listener. Especially, uh, we would appreciate it. Go to grandexshop.com/occ for Game of Thrones themed T-shirts and oysters, clams, and cockles T-shirts. We got a variety on there; it's all good stuff. And you know, the shirt that was promised is coming soon. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening. Bye bye.